no, oh no. I'm lost! Where's the light? It just went away. Dude, what do I do? Help! We'll be stuck here forever. Do not panic. Do not panic. We are trained professionals. Now stay calm. We are going around the leaf. Around the leaf? I, I don't think we can do that. Oh, nonsense. This is nothing compared to the twig of 93. That's it. That's it. Good. You're doing great. There you go. There you go. Watch my eyes. Don't look away. And here's the line again. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Soil. <laughs> Good job, everybody. Oh, my. There's quite a gap, Mr. Soil. Shouldn't we tell the queen? I don't think... Am I on now? Ah, you're on. Am I on now? Okay. It was, the, it was you this time? Yes! All right. Not me. Um, I was telling the teens this morning that I generally don't watch a movie more than once because if I know how it ends, I'm really not interested anymore. Um, but that is one of the exceptions. I love that movie. I will watch A Bug's Life repeatedly. And that scene is one of my favorite scenes in a movie, period, ever. Because how many times do leaves fall in our pathway and we act like it's the end of the world when really it's nothing compared to the twig of 93? Right? Really, it's not that big a deal. But, and, and it's true, I think we do. I think we overreact, and I think that... that as a side note, apart from our lesson today, that should be, I think, a great lesson in, in just kind of trying to take everything in stride and try to step back and really look at what's going on in your world before you assume something that's happening is as bad as you think it is. Because don't we all default to worst case scenario, right? Somebody was telling me today that it's better to hear the, it's better to wait and hear the whole story one-on-one -on -one than to hear half of a story. Because if you hear half of a story, what happens? You start filling in the blanks, right? And the way you fill in the blanks generally isn't good, okay? So that's, just keep that in mind. But we, we are discussing this in this series, this series is called Big Rocks. And, and the idea is that we're discussing big rocks, things that are legitimately not a leaf in your way. They are things that really do keep you from growing in your faith and coming to know the Lord. Last week, Nita blessed us with a, a message on fear, right? On fear and faith. Because fear, regardless of what your fears are, fear of being harmed, fear of the unknown, fear of not meeting somebody's expectations, fear, fear of failure right? Fear often keeps us from seeing the things that God is calling us to do. And, and oftentimes, it is a choice between fear and faith and which one you're going to allow to be stronger in your life. Fear is one of those big rocks. One of the big rocks that we're going to discuss this week, though, I would call a sneaky big rock. Because sometimes it's in the way of what we're trying to accomplish, what God wants us to do, yet we don't always even recognize that it's there because we're so much a part of it. 
and, th- and that is our own cultures. And you say, okay, great, that tells me nothing, Rob. Well, let's, let's get there. Trust me, our cultures get in the way. If we look at a, the nature of what a culture is, just so I want to make sure that we're on the same wavelength, we're discussing the same thing. D.A. Carson calls a culture, the mean, a culture means something like the set of values broadly shared by some subset of the human population, okay? So a culture is a group of people sharing a similar set of values and expectations and history and choosing to move together in that similarity, in that culture. If you have uh, the notes on, online or on the app, there's actually another quote that I love by Clifford Gertz that's a little more in-depth. We're not going to go into that one here because that would be a rabbit trail that would take us on, but it's just for, there for you if you want it. But so I have a question for you. What are some cultures that we currently live in? Based on that definition, what country do you live in? United States. Does America have a culture? Right? It has a culture that is very different from, let's say, China or Japan. How many of you worked for Honda and have gone over to Japan? Different world? Very different world, right? Different culture. So America has a culture of its own. But let's broaden it. What else, what other cultures do we live in? Huh? Christian culture, Midwest culture, both true, right? I've lived in the North, I've lived in the South, and I've lived in here, and they're very, they are very different cultures. When my kids moved to Arkansas and they started going to school, first thing is we had to sign a waiver saying that if they got in trouble with the principal, we had to have the option of letting them be spanked or they would be suspended, which made Rachel cry for a week going, I'm going to get spanked, I'm going to get But they had to say yes, sir, and yes, ma'am to all of their teachers. Moving from Indiana to Arkansas, that was a change. That was a shocker. Then they moved to Minnesota, and, and Rachel goes, yes, ma'am, to some of her teachers, and her teachers go, are you sassing me? <laughs> right? It's a very different culture, even within the United States, right? Christian culture, right? Church culture. We have a church culture. What are, how do you identify our church culture? What would you say? Brethren. Brethren. That's part of our culture, right? It's part of our identity part of our history. Rural, right? There's another one. There's a difference between rural and city cultures too, right? I've lived in both, and they're different. Friendly. Friendly. Okay, you would count that as part of our culture. That's great. But these are all the things that we, we revolve around in a common culture, right? If you go to school, your school has a culture, right? You expect certain things at certain times in certain places. What happens when things don't go the way they're supposed to at school? What happens when things don't go the way they're supposed to at school? Huh? It starts being fun when things don't go the way they're supposed to. <laughs> Matthew is a, is a man after my own heart. Love it. Okay? Love it. They're laughing because there's a whole slew of people in here that go, No. No, it doesn't become fun when I don't know what's coming, right? But I'm with you. I'm totally with you. Your work has a culture, right? The culture of your job is you have to show up when? 
On time. Some of them is dress code. Some of them there's a dress code, right? You have a set of expectations that you have to live up to, that you have to accomplish. And if you don't, even how somebody responds to it is cultural because a different workplace responds to things in different ways, right? So we live within lots of different cultures. We move in and out of lots of different cultures in our lives. Our workplace is different than our church. Our church is often different than our home, right? The rules are different. The expectations are different. Is there overlap? Yes. We hope there is, right? If we're operating as Christians, we hope that the things we profess to believe here translate outside, right, into our lives. But the reality is we move within different cultures all the time. The problem is, well, first question, is culture good or bad? you're 75 in our age versus the kids today, your cultures and everything has really changed. Oh, it's very different. I mean... It's very, very different. I mean, the way we were brought up, that's what I want to say. Yes. And I'm not knocking today, but things are... It was a lot stricter back then than they are now, I think. Yeah, they were, probably. How many of you had a stricter upbringing than even your kids had? (laughs) Look at... (laughs) Right? Boom, boom, right? I, I think my behind still has some marks on it. Some, I'm kidding. It doesn't. But, right, it's different. It's changed. It's evolved, right? But is it good or bad? Well, that's, that's I, I think it's, it depends. I think it could be either. What are some good things about culture? Structure, right? Why is structure good? You know what's expected. You know where you're headed. You know what's going on, right? We can all operate. That's one of the keys to culture is the structure, right? Because everybody knows what's expected, a set of expectations, expectations that everybody in the culture kind of gets and operates by, right? Why else would culture be good? Hmm? Connection? Connection, communication, right? Values are similar. Those are good things in a lot of ways. Communication is important. Part of our culture is that we speak the same language, right? That's an important thing. (laughs) Again, go to Japan. If you don't know how to speak Japanese, you're dependent upon what? You're dependent upon somebody else to translate the language and the culture to you because you can't sort it out on your own, right? So there's an upside to culture. It allows for communication because we're moving on the same wavelength. We have the same points of reference. We have relationships with one another, right? What could be bad about culture? Mm. That can be a good too, right? Culture can be a, we hope, we hope that church culture is a positive influence, right? Oh, yeah. See, you're right, though. It can be a bad influence, right? It can be a horribly bad influence. What about uh, if the values of a certain culture don't match up with what your values are? Or, more importantly, what God's values are? 
right? Conflict, tension, difficulty, challenge. Raise your hand if you've ever experienced that, right? Right? Cultures, cultures are what they are. They're a human construct, but, and they can be both good or bad. They have value. They have purpose. So I don't want anything I'm about to say about culture lead you down the road of saying all culture is bad. We should just be living in anarchy and doing our own thing. That is not where I'm headed, okay? But it is sneaky because it's a sneaky rock in our path because we don't always recognize in the moment how it's affecting us. We don't recognize its effect. And let, let's, we're going to go to the Scriptures now. We're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 8, and I want to try to put some legs on this to help you understand what's going on, how we don't recognize it sometimes. So let's read. It says, when Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges over Israel. His firstborn son name, son's name was Joel, and his second was Abijah, and they were judges in Beersheba. However, his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned toward dishonest prophet, they took bribes and perverted justice. Boy, that's a great culture, right? No. So, the, so all the elders of Israel gathered together and went to Samuel at Ramah, and they said to him, look, you're old. And your sons do not walk in your ways. Therefore, appoint a king to judge us, the same as all the other nations have. And when they said, give us a king to judge us, Samuel considered their demand wrong. And so he prayed to the Lord. But the Lord told him, listen to the people and everything they say to you. They have not rejected you. They have rejected me as their king. They are doing the same thing to you that they have done to me since the day I brought them out of Egypt and until this day, abandoning me and worshiping other gods. Listen to them, but solemnly warn them and tell them about the customary rights of the king who will reign over them. And then he then goes into that, which we will get into in a minute, the customary rights of a king. And still, at the end of the story, they still say what to Samuel? Give us a king. I want you to understand what's going on in Israel, because Israel, if you know the history of Israel, it's got its ups and downs, right? Ins and outs. But in this time, in this season, when this is, this is written, and this, in this time in the life of Samuel, the ark has returned to the people of God, which means God has returned to the people of God, right? The people have returned to the Lord. In fact, in the previous chapter, in verse 6, it says, When they gathered at Mizpah, they drew water, and they poured it out, and they fasted, and they said, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged them on that day. So they have returned to the Lord. It also says in the chapter before this that their strength has returned. In chapter 7, verse 13, it says, so, so the Philistines were subdued and did not invade Israel's territory again. And the Lord's hand was against the Philistines all of Samuel's life. This is a time of profound peace and strength. It goes on to say that lands that have been taken to them have been returned to them, right? That they are growing. Samuel has been leading them now for decades, 20 to 30 years. He's been doing this circuit every year where he goes around and does what's called judging, and that's evaluating, considering different, different concerns or, or arguments as a judge would do, and trying very hard to indicate which way the Lord would have them go in those things. 
So they've had the Lord's guidance. They've had the Lord's presence. They've had a wonderful sense of peace and strength. The Lord, the ark is back in their midst. The Lord is within their midst. They've turned back to him. They've repented of their sin and they've gone back to him. And yet when they face the challenge of, look, Samuel, we're about to lose you and we don't like your sons, right? They default. They default back to, we want to be like everybody else. We're looking around at our other cultures around us. And in this time of difficulty, we're asking ourselves, why can't we be like them? Despite all the blessings that they have right in front of them, despite the life that they're living, and they can't, they can't see it. See, the, the challenge is that good or bad, cultures pressure us. And in the case of the Israelites, it's the culture around them. Cultures pressure us to meet their standards, often irrespective of God's standard. Does that make sense? And let me be really clear before we move any further. That is both external culture and internal culture. Because we can be the people of God as the people of Israel are here. And as Jesus will be with the Pharisees later, we can be the people of God and still allow the culture to be more important than the pursuit of the Lord. The culture becomes our God rather than pursuing what the Lord has for us. And that's important to understand. We'd be arrogant if we can't possibly think if it happened to them, it happened to the Pharisees, why would we think it couldn't happen to us too? And the thing is, it happens in such a way that we don't even notice it. A culture develops over time as it's influenced. You said your culture has changed, right? The culture has changed so much since you were children. But did it happen in a blink? Or did you just one day go, man, this is way different than when I was a kid, Right? I tell my parent, my kids all the time, when they say, Grandma and Grandpa are awesome, I say, yes, but th those are not the people I grew up with. <laughs> I just, I want you to be, right? <laughs> Very different. But it doesn't happen in the blink of an eye. It happens over time. And it's, it's a sneaky rock because it, it infiltrates and changes and alters and develops, and we don't always recognize it. We don't see it because we're a part of it. And we will sometimes default when things are challenging us, we'll default, we'll look around for solutions, and we look around to the, the people around us, we look at the churches around us, we look at the world around us, but there's one place that the people of Israel didn't look and that sometimes we don't look, and that's to the Lord. When we face a cultural challenge, a, a shift or a difficulty within the body of Christ or within the world around us or with the world around us, who do we look to first? In our American culture, who do you look to first? Any guesses? Yourself. Yeah, you look to yourself first. You hope. Personally, 
I think a lot of our culture is, we look to the government first. We look to the government to solve the problem, right? Fix the problem. Fix this for me. Can I just, I'm going to tell you something really blunt. The government is not in the business of fixing your problem. The government isn't often very much in the business of keeping things moving along, of keeping things status quo, of not rocking the boat. And that means probably not solving a problem. That just means making it go away. And does that really solve the problem? No. So the people of God, even post-Jesus, right, the people of God have struggled with this. If we considered the Crusades, right, the Crusades were 400 years, almost 400 years, from 1095 to 1492, almost 400 years of us doing things under the, and I say us, meaning Christians, right? And we can say, oh, it's just the Catholic Church. Okay, they were the predominant Christian force in the world. They were the representation of Jesus Christ to most of the world in that time frame. There's no other way around that, right? And for 400 years, they did what? Huh? They oppressed, they killed, they destroyed, they maimed, and they all said it all. It was in all in the name of God. How do you get that lost? It doesn't happen in a blink. It is this sneaky little rock called culture. <laughs> the cultures we live in. Because the Crusades came out of a desire for power and a desire for control and a desire to, to win. And it sneaks its way into the church. And then 400 years later, you realize, oh my goodness, 400 years, that's how many lifetimes? Dozens. It's a dozen lifetimes. A dozen lifetimes later, they figured out, this is a bad plan. This is not what we need to be doing. This is not what God would call us to do. Are you getting the point that culture can be a problem? It can be an obstacle because we're a part of it. We don't always notice it, and it can change us and take us away from the things that God wants us to do without even recognizing it. So let's talk about what culture does based on the scripture we're reading today and, and, and how it begins to insidiously pull us away, why it's a rock. The first thing is this. It says, God's plan isn't good enough. Samuel, in verse 1 of our scripture today, Samuel appointed his sons. Now, were his sons wonderful people? No. I think we can summarily say they were not wonderful people. They perverted justice, they stole, they did all kinds of things they should not have done. But, and this is hard for us to understand sometimes, in the time of the Old Testament, who speaks for God? The prophet, right? They do not have the Holy Spirit, right? They do not have um, direct access to God that we would have. It is the prophet that speaks for God. And can I just tell you something about a prophet? Prophets, 100% of their prophecies come true. 
Otherwise, you are not a prophet, okay? Prophets do an incredible work. Number one, they do speak of what's going to happen. But more importantly, they speak of what's going on now. They speak of what God wants to do with His people at this place, at this time, what He's thinking, what He's feeling, where He wants them to go. And if God says to His prophet, to His the only voice that He has to His people, the only connection, that this is my plan, you need to appoint these people. then it's as though those words came directly from the mouth of God. And yet, the people look at the plan, and admittedly, it would be hard for me to swallow too, because I would look at a Joel and Abijah and I would go, seriously, this can't be the plan. I mean, wouldn't you think that? Wouldn't you think, seriously, this can't be the plan? These two people cannot be the leaders of God's nation. I would be tempted to think that. But if, if Samuel did it because God told him to, then it was the plan. But the people said the plan, not good enough. Whatever plan you've got laid out for us, God, whatever it is you want us to do, the very voice of God is speaking through his prophet to us and saying, this is exactly what you need to do, and you don't do it. That's been the downfall of the Israelite community throughout history, right? God gives Saul orders to wipe out the Amalekites, and we say to ourselves, it's horrible off the top of our heads. We go, wipe out an entire group of people, and it's the order that God gave, and Saul chooses not to wipe them all out. Fun story, we're reading the book of of Esther with my son's Bible study group, and it's the Amalekites that, that... Saul is asked to wipe out. In the story of Esther, hundreds of years later, we see that it is an Amalekite that wants to put all of the Jewish people to death. Now, if Saul had just done what he was asked to do, instead of saying, this isn't a good enough plan for me, would they have had to deal with that hundreds of years later? The answer is no. But so often, we convince ourselves that whatever plan God might have for us isn't a good enough plan or isn't the right plan or surely isn't the plan that He would have laid out. Sometimes we we, we say it's not good enough because it's not safe enough, right? It It doesn't keep me safe and secure in what I'm comfortable with and what I'm doing well. It's a bit like throwing a leaf on my path when I'm trying to walk somewhere, right? And we go, no, 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 I can't do that. I can't do that. It's unknown. It's unsafe. It doesn't make sense. I can't do it. Maybe it doesn't feel secure enough. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe we say, you know, it, it doesn't keep me comfortable or it's not fun enough. It's not my gifting. God asks us to do something and we don't do it because we say to ourselves, it's not my gifting. I don't have time. It's our culture that teaches us we don't have time. It's our culture that teaches us that God's plan isn't good enough, that there has to be a God's plan and. It's not God that says that. God pretty much tells us His plan is the best plan and the only plan, right? 
It is the best plan and the only plan. Well, then, do we make the same mistake that the people of Saul's time did, or Samuel's time did? Do we make the same mistake that the Pharisees did? Do we make the same mistake? Do we question whether or not God's plan really is the right plan? I think we do it every day. I think we do it every day. I think we do it every day, and I'll just give you one example. I think we'll do it. We do it every day when it comes to what it means to spread the gospel. Because can I just tell you clearly what the plan is? The plan is you will be my witnesses in all of Judea, right? Samaria, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the four corners of the earth. You will be my witnesses. Who's you? Okay. That's the plan. There is no plan B. Okay? There is no plan somebody else. It is not one person's job or two people's job or three people's job to spread the gospel. It is all of our jobs to spread the gospel. And not just when it's convenient. It's our job to spread the gospel pretty much every opportunity we get. And this is where culture becomes a problem. Because our culture, our culture teaches us to fear that idea. If I spread the gospel, what's going to happen? Somebody might... What? Somebody, no, you're going way past the fear, which I adore about you. Somebody might get saved. <laughs> but but it, I love you, Carol. But is, is that not where we go automatically? Most of the time, no. Should we? Yes. But we don't. We go to the fear of somebody might look at me funny. Somebody might fire me from my job. Some, you might offend somebody. The gospel's offensive. Did you know that? Sometimes we all need to be offended. We all need to be reminded that we are not doing what God would have us do. That doesn't mean we have to like it. It does mean we have to hear it. But there's a culture that we've allowed the culture to teach us that, it's, that it can't be God's plan that I have to share the gospel because it makes me afraid of what could happen. The culture also teaches us, especially the American culture, that it's every man for himself. And if it's every man for himself, who's the only person I'm concerned about being saved? Me. When push comes to shove, if it's every man for himself, I got mine, I'm good. Y'all are on your own. You preach it, girl. I'm serious. If we are people of love, if we are people of mission, if we are the people that God has called us to be, and if this is the plan that God has laid out to save the world, not just save Rob, not just save Carol, but to save the world, then are we arrogant enough to say that plan's not good enough? And yet sometimes, well, no, daily, 
I think we do. I think we do the same thing. And what concerns me is that we've allowed that external cultural thing to end up as part of our church culture. And I don't just mean at Gretna, right? I mean on the whole. We as Christians are not nearly as bold as we need to be. We are not willing to tell people who our Lord is. We are not willing to take the risk. And yet God said pretty clearly, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to pick up your cross and carry it. You're going to have to be willing to do these things. Let us not be, let us not allow the culture to teach us who God calls us to be. Let us be people who teach the culture what God wants from all of us. So, what else do we learn from this scripture? The next thing is this. It says, the culture teaches us, thanks God, we can take it from here. Thanks God, we can take it from here. When Rachel was right around two years old, um, she uh, learned to tie her shoes. We taught her to tie her shoes. And um, from the first time she learned how to tie her shoes, she wouldn't let nobody tie her shoes. If you said, I'll tie them for you, she'd go, no, I could do it myself. Right? I've learned it. I've been there. I've done that. I got it. I don't need you no more. Now, in some respects... We raise our children hoping that they will go off and have an independent life, right, where they can start their own family, where they can run their own business, where they can learn the skills of life, and they can live a wonderful and successful life, an independent life from us in many ways. That's okay. The problem is that's a, that's a cultural, a human cultural thing, but that's really not the culture that God desires for His people, See, the people of Israel have said to Samuel, they've said, hey, look, you got us, you got us the ark back, right? You got us God back in our presence. We've repented from our sins. Everything's good. We're feeling good about life. You know what? We can take it from here. Fun fact, that doesn't end well. That doesn't end well for the people of God. So, I still think we make the same mistake. When you first came to know the Lord, what was your connection to Him like? Fresh, Fresh new, tight, excited, right? You want to read, you want to understand, you want to be around his people, you want to do all kinds of things. You, in fact, most kids that come to know the Lord as, as kids, they immediately run out and start spreading, telling people about Jesus. Did you know that? Because they're on fire for it. They're ready to go for it. But at some point in our lives, I really do think we get to the place where we go, thanks God, I can take it from here. I've been through the Bible enough times, I got the basics. I know how to pray, I learned how to do that. And it's made worse by the fact that when we're not facing difficulty, as the people of Israel are not here, when things are going good, 
right? When things are going good, we don't. We say, we can take it from here, God. We do not, I do not need you to step into my life. But we, we do. We also just flat fail to go forward. Because, you know, the funny thing about Rachel learning to tie her shoes and, and saying, well, yeah, I don't need your help with that anymore. Yeah, the more she did it, she got better at it. She sure did, which is great. Except if you're that parent who's in a hurry and trying to get out the door and your, your, your beautiful, wonderful daughter, it takes 45 minutes to tie her shoes. Sometimes I feel like God's got a plan for where He wants us to go and we will say to Him, I will take care of it myself. And God is just sitting there going, I've told you what you need to do and you're rejecting me because you feel like you need to do it yourself or you can do it yourself or you should do it yourself. There is no point in your faith journey where you can do it yourself. That's kind of the point of the cross is recognizing that we cannot do it ourselves. There is no place where suddenly the Bible's not relevant in your life anymore and that you should stop reading it on a regular basis. There is no point when prayer has met its goal and you can check off the box and it's not a thing anymore that you really have to commit yourself to. Because it's like any other relationship. If your relationship is spent, spread apart, eventually it's no longer a relationship. And he warns them. He says to them in the text over here, back when we just read, he says, look, I'm, or he's about to say, he's about to say in the section we're going to read in a little bit, he's going to say, look, you're going to want all these things, you're going to do all these things, and then when God come, when I, you come back to God in a hot mess looking for help, he will not be there for you. We'll read it in a second. It says it. If you were separated from your spouse on different coasts and you never talked to each other for three years and then came back together, would the relationship be the same? No. Why would we expect it to be that way with God? We cannot do this ourselves because we do not grow. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3 says this. This is Paul writing to the Corinthian church. He says, For my part, brothers, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of flesh, as babies in Christ. So when he came to them, they were infants in Christ. This was years ago. This was about three to four years ago, based on the best guess for calendar, right? It says, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, since you were not yet ready for it. No worries, that's fine. In fact, here's the problem, you are still not ready for it because you are still worldly. For since there is envy and strife among you, are you not worldly and behaving like mere human beings? It's a problem. Paul has said to the people of Corinth, he said, look, you know, I fed you with milk at that time because you needed to be fed with milk. But at some point, do you grow up? Do you mature? 
And one of the beautiful and wonderful things about maturing in Christ is it's a never-ending journey. I love that part. I love the fact that he is constantly working and changing, and I can see and know and understand new things about him every day, and a subtle nuance that's added to my life. I can go, that's what he meant. That's what he meant. I had no idea 10 years ago when when I read this scripture that it was going to mean this, right? Because I wasn't there in my life. God's wisdom whether it be from the Word of God itself or the Holy Spirit of God, is not something that's a once-and-done kind of thing. It has lots of layers. If you've ever watched Shrek, it's an onion. Many layers, right? Lots and lots of layers. And the more you dig into your relationship with the Lord, the more you chew on His Word and let it nourish your soul, the more often you approach Him, The stronger that relationship gets, the more it grows. And it will grow throughout your lifetime if you steward it. But if at some point you decide, I can take it from here, God, you're done. You've stunted anywhere God wants you to go. And you may spend the rest of your life trying to learn to tie your shoes when God could have tied them for you and had you running. Keep that in mind. So, the last thing, ultimately, is that culture can convince us that ignoring God doesn't really have consequences. Let's read the second half of this scripture from Samuel that I keep telling you we're going to get to. It says, Samuel told all the Lord's words to the people that they were asking him for a king. He said that these are the rights of a king who will reign over you. This, that's a warning, right? This is what's going to come if, if you have a king. He will take your sons and he will put them in his chariots on, on his horses or running in front of his chariots. He can appoint them for his use as commanders of thousands or commanders of fifties, to plow his ground, to reap his harvest, to make his weapons of war and the equipment for his chariots. He can take your daughters to become perfumers, cooks, and bakers. He can take your best fields, your vineyards, your olive orchards, and give them to his servants. He can take a tenth of your grain and your vineyards, and give them to his officials and his servants. He can take your male servants and your female servants, your best cattle and your donkeys, and use them for his work. He can take a tenth of your flocks, and and you yourselves can become his servants. When that day comes, you will cry out because of the king you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord won't answer you on that day. The people refused to listen to Samuel. And they said, no, we must have a king over us. And then we will be like all the other nations. Our king, our ju- our king will judge us. He will go out before us and he will fight our battles. So let me get this straight. The prophet of God, God's voice himself stands here and says, hey, These are all the bad things that are going to happen if you choose to go down this path. I'm telling you which path to go down, and you're choosing to go down a different path. These are all the bad things that are going to happen. And the people of God 
because of the influence of everything else around them, say to themselves, no, we think a king can handle all this. We need a king. Really? Can I just tell you the rest of the story? The rest of the story is this, that it doesn't go the way they hope. All of the things that God had said will come true, guess what? Come true. But they really chose to ignore them in that moment. I would guess because there wasn't an immediate threat, right? Remember, they're in a wonderful, beautiful place. Things are going well. There's no immediate threat. One of the major challenges we have in our world is, is this, is, is that, especially with our kids, is that the culture of um, busyness, the culture of activity, the culture of sports, the culture of all of these different things. It used to be, right, that back in my day, you couldn't have sports on what days of the week? Sunday and Wednesday for some people, right? Now, true or false, it occurs now on Sundays and Wednesdays. Sure does. Imagine that. Imagine that. But it's an interesting thing. If you do not show up for practice to play on the sports team, what happens? You get kicked off the team, you don't play, right? Or you sit the bench, right? What happens if you don't show up for church on Sunday? See, that's, that's the interesting part is nothing and a whole lot of something. See, we, we are people of immediate response and reaction, right? If we can see, foresee how it's going to hurt us, right, we will react differently than if God says it's going to hurt us sometimes. So we will skip church because we can't miss the swimming practice because that one's going to kick me off the team. This one, I can come back to church next week. It'll be fine. I cannot study my Bible today because I really want to watch this movie on Netflix because if I miss that, I can't have the conversation at school tomorrow with people that are all watching it tonight. I'll miss the episode. I'll just get back to the Bible tomorrow because the consequences are not immediate. The consequences are weeks, months, days, generations down the the road. And because that's the case, we delude ourselves into thinking there aren't really any consequences if I just make this exception here. I saw an article today, this morning, uh, that said, the title of the article, I didn't really get much into it. The title of the article is, Church Should Be Your Excuse for Missing Everything Else. Now, what is more likely to happen? Everything else is your excuse to miss church. And let me expand that. 
It's not just about Sunday mornings. I think Sunday mornings has high value for us to gather together as believers, and I think we should meet together on Sunday mornings. But where else do we use that same logic? It's my excuse not to spend time with God because I'm fill in the blank, right? It's my excuse not to go serve others in need because it's my excuse not to spend time with my kids as God guides me to because and we can come up with a thousand different reasons <laughs> to not do what we're supposed to do. It is your excuse not to share the gospel. It's the same thing. We can come up with a thousand things, and we are deluding ourselves into thinking that those choices don't have impact. The people of Israel had to figure out the hard way repeatedly that if they ignored God continuously, things would go bad. And sometimes it wasn't even them that realized it. Sometimes it was their children or their grandchildren or their great-grandchildren that figured it out the hard way. Let us not delude ourselves into believing that if God gives us counsel, that we can ignore it without it costing us something. It will. And our culture teaches us that, that it, that it won't. Our culture teaches us that you can just go on about doing your thing. God can just be a little piece of it over here, and as long as you keep him over in his box and keep him checked off, you're good. And that is probably the biggest sneaky lie of culture. You cannot relegate God to a piece of your life. You have to allow God to drive your life. And those are very, two very, very different things. So what I would leave you with today is, is to be very honest with yourself. Are you making choices that you're, you're moving towards those things that have an immediate, angry, bad response and setting aside what God has asked for you because you just don't see it immediately? Are there things? Do you spend time in ways you shouldn't? Do you make commitments that pull you away from the Lord? That's the big one. Do you make commitments that pull you away from the Lord and then use those an excuse, as an excuse to keep you away from the Lord? God is either our Lord and our Savior or He's not. He's either our Master or He's not. He is either as our scripture said at the end here today, he is either our king that will judge us and who will go out before us and who will fight our battles for us, or he has n is not. We have to ask ourselves if we are going to be the people God wants us to be, who our king is. I'm done. Amen. Let's close in prayer with this. Close the sermon in prayer, and then we will go through our normal 
prayer requests as we do every Sunday. So let me pray. Father God, we are thankful for your strength and your mercies and your grace. We are thankful for your patience with us as we do sometimes ignore your counsel, as we do sometimes say thanks, we can take it from here. Lord, let us be a people that recognizes that our dependence upon you is not momentary. It is eternal. That your desire for our lives and for the world is something far greater than we can imagine. Please do not allow those things that that get in our way, whether it be the the culture of our life and work and the busyness around us, please don't let us allow those things to keep us away from you. Lord God, it's hard. There are a lot of influences in our lives. It's hard to stay focused. It's hard to always be ready to hear you and to be ready to do what you've asked us to do, but we, deep down inside, we desire to. I pray that you will give us the strength to do that, the courage to do that, to overcome our fears, to set aside the influences of of our culture and to ask ourselves, are we being the people that God would want us to be? It is in Jesus' holy name that I pray, amen. All right, so... Let's read, read some prayer requests for the day that we always get these ahead of time. I've got many, many. Uh, Diane Hartzler called this morning. She would like prayers for Stan. He's apparently been in the hospital for a couple of days with an infection. I was unaware of that till this morning. Um, and Kim was on her way to the urgent care for bronchitis. So Diane's got her hands full with a very, very sick husband and a very, very sick daughter. And she has asked for our prayers, and we should absolutely offer those to her. Patty has asked for prayers for her son, Bill, right? That his nerves continue to grow together, and that, you know, the upcoming tests indicate all the cancer is gone, right? We want it gone, 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 right? Okay. Susan Culp has asked for prayers for the associate pastor candidate, whoever that may be, because we don't have a name yet, but you know who does have a name? God does. So we would ask for ongoing prayers for that person, that they be confident that this is what God is calling them to, and that, we w- that they would be able to make that move without reservation, without concern, without challenge, knowing that they are in God's hands and that it is the calling that God has upon their lives. Lift up them and their family, because it'll be a change for their family too, right? pray for them on an ongoing basis. Don't, don't lose sight of that. Holly would like to ask for prayers for the troops and for Mike and Terry in Florida. Yep. We need them all home, right? At some point, right? She'd also like to offer praise. She has a new job at Union Station and is loving it and thanks the Lord for it, right? Yep. Good deal. Uh, Carol Klein has asked for some prayers. Uh, she had a CAT scan on February 13th. Uh, they found a spot on one of her lungs. Uh, they will do another scan on the 18th to see what it is. Uh, 
she says, please pray, because God has this healed, but please pray, right? I know. She said this morning, she's, she gave me more prayers, and she said, you know what? God will take care of it. Man, I wish I could have that peace all the time, don't you? God will handle it. Amen. She asked for prayers for Susie McFarlane. Uh, she was in the cancer hospital in Columbus. She will return February 28th for surgery, correct? That's your sister. Okay, Leonard's sister. She also asked for prayers for Chastity Klein Covington. That's your daughter. Waiting on test results. Uh, they found a mass in her side and we'll know more this week. So the Klein family has much on their minds right now. We'd ask that you envelop them, that you cover them in prayer. Right? Huh? I don't Anything else? Any other prayers? Yes. Okay. So his dad has an infection in his knee. Uh, we would ask that it'll be the fifth time. They're going to replace the whole knee. Oh my goodness gracious! For the fifth time. Oh my goodness. Oh, my goodness. So we need to pray for your dad, right? Yes. What else? Anybody else? WRE, right? Yay! Praise God, WRE's all back and going. Amazing how God has worked out some things, isn't it? Isn't it impressive? Ugh, he blows my mind. Blows my mind. Anything else? Mr. Tillman. Your son-in-law, Greg Pernorwood. Uh huh. Okay. 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 Both eyes or one eye? One eye. Uh, looks like there's no improvement in their son's eye. In the eye, it's probably not going to improve. Correct. I'm so sorry. Let's pray for them to handle it, to move forward, right? Um, to see God in the midst of it somehow. I know that's hard to do. I'm sorry. Yes. Alana's parents are going to Texas for seven weeks on Tuesday. You don't look happy. Are you taking care of their house while they're gone? Uh -huh, that's why. Okay. All right. But yes, we can pray for them to have safe travels. We can pray for them to have a wonderful time, right? And come back safely, yeah? Okay. The visiting your sister? Okay. Anybody else? Gregory. We need to praise for this Mary Poppins thing. <laughs> wonderful. I'll tell you what, those kids deserve all the praise. Uh, well, good. It's so, awesome. I believe you because you're screaming about it. <laughs> yeah, I agree. So, where is it? It was at the hollow. Okay. Yeah, yeah, beautiful thing. God is busy, busy. He is. All right, yeah. Update on my friend Stephen. He's doing a lot better. He's a lot more positive these days. I'm actually helping him through towards getting him to the gospel. It's going to take a while, but, you know. So we need to pray for your... He's been bitter against God for years, so it's not going to be an overnight change. Okay. But... We're continuing to pray for Stephen to move toward the Lord, right? Yes. To overcome the bitterness he's held for a long time. Yeah? Okay. Bitterness could be a 
And I am thankful that you continue to stick with him, that you continue to help him come closer to the Lord, right? Well, I'm thankful for that. Anything else? Hold on, Colin. Praise God for the people that God is surrounding you with. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. It might be like God got you amongst a bunch of people that are faith-driven, that love the Lord. Yeah. Might be God's plan, right? Okay. We will praise God for that, too. I'm happy to see you today. Anybody else? Holly. (laughs) She's going to see Mary Poppins Jr. too. Okay, well, good for her. Anything else? Yes, goodie boxes. Last. Okay. Okay. Goody boxes, goody boxes, don't forget. Oh, and hey, Lynn Mercer is going to be here to preach next week. So if you haven't seen him in a minute, he's a wonderful man. You'll love it. Yes, Miss Bonnie. Her pacemaker. Praise God. Bob and Shirley, you're doing well with the pacemaker. Praise God. Praise God. All right. All right. Let us close in prayer. Father God, you have heard our pleas. You've heard our cries and you've heard our praises. Lord, we are so thankful that you continue to reach down into our lives, that you continue to make a difference, not just in my life and in the lives of the people here, but in the lives of those all around us. Lord, I pray that this week we will have an opportunity to be a shining light to others, that we will have the courage to tell others of you and of your greatness, and that we will do so unabashedly. Father God, I pray that with every minute and every day, we we grow closer to you, we grow stronger in you, and that we remember that you, you want only what's best for us, and that anything you might ask us to do is really a blessing, even if it doesn't feel like it in the moment. Thank you, Lord for being so faithful. Thank you for being so merciful. And thank you for sending your son. We pray that you will carry us safely as we leave here today. Give us opportunity to come back next week and gather again. It is in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.